Welcome to the one and only Circle City Setup with your host and the one and only Zach Griffith. Hello. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. The Disgusting Brothers. Only a couple weeks left of the Disgusting Brothers. And it's going to be a raucous couple of weeks to end succession. I am your host, Zach Griffith. And I'm joined, as always, by the founder and CEO of the Running Hook Podcast Network. One of my good friends. One of my great friends. And the host of the Basketball Power Hour on the Running Hook Podcast Network, Alex Burr. Alex, how are we doing? Uh, doing great as always. Um, doing a lot better than Shiv is at the moment. Um, doing a lot better than Probably Kendall all. also is at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm not. I don't think I'm as good as Roman is. Uh, on the sibling scale, I'd probably say I'm between Kendall and Roman. How about you? How about yeah, you? How about you? Where I'm are you at? No, I think that's a good assessment of yourself. I mean, I think, uh, you know, based on what we talked about pre-pod, I would say I'm uh, in a similar range. You know, maybe, maybe the Connor range where you take an L, but there's W's on the horizon. So maybe I'm in that range. But def- I don't think I'm in the Shiv range where you just take such a massive L. I mean, it's it's uh, comparable to uh, Sixers game seven against the Celtics, you know, kind of like that. But man, choke job. Uh, I think it's ironic that both of those things happen the same week. But, you know, uh, anyway, on the same day, actually. They happened on the same day. But anyway... Alex, speaking of which, to, to to steal your quote, to steal your uh, your shtick, in the interest of throwing you a curveball, when you're expecting a fastball, I'm doing the wild card off the top here, rather than saving it near the end. I like it. Wild card for you, Alex. Most likely to be on a different team for the 23-24 season out of these three guys. Oh, Paul George, Damian Lillard, or Joel Embiid? Oh, man. This is a doozy. Okay. So at number three, I'm going to go Joel. I don't think this is the year he demands out. Now, I do. I've, you know, I've been on the Joel is going to demand out train for some time now. I haven't been. I, I just kind of have seen this coming for years. Um, it sucks, but I think that this this kind of was is unfortunately the way it was going to end with their dysfunction there in Philadelphia. But I think he's going to be on the Sixers in twenty three twenty four. Next, I will have Paul George. Um. I believe, you know, there's a good chance he's on another team next year, but only if they're trying. I don't even know if their pick has protections. I believe the Thunder have their pick next year. So it might not even be worth it. It might not even be worth it for them to think. So there's a chance he's still a clipper next year. Plus they're opening the, um, the new forum. I'm not, I don't even know the name of it yet, but I'm just going to call it the new forum until they have the name in 24, 25. So maybe they want to keep the stars around. The, the um, Windows XP forum. 
<laughs> the, um, the Xbox forum. The, uh, so Xbox we had Series that. X. And then we have Damian Lillard. Um, a writer for The Athletic, Zach Harper, said, how do we feel about Dame soft launching his trade request by saying the fans are demanding it and blaming the fans for his eventual asking out? Um, and I think that's a good way to put it because he's kind of gaslighting the fans right now. How many fans, how many Portland fans actually want Damian Lillard gone? It's just, you know, the probably like the nerds like us, right? Like the people that are like, oh, it's so stupid. They should be rebuilding. But like the actual majority of Portland fans will be heartbroken the second Dame Lillard leaves Portland. But that being said, I think he's, this is going to sound very cynical, but his whole brand is loyalty. You know, oh, I'm, I'm so much better than these other guys. I'm loyal, but also you've backed yourself into a corner now. You can't pivot out of it, right? Zach, be honest here. If Dane was like, I want to get out of Portland, you wouldn't be that mad at him, right? It's not like he's been there for like two years and is like, oh, I'm done. He's been there for 10 years. I wouldn't be mad at him. Yeah, literally 10 years. I was just going to say, he's literally been there a decade. And I I wouldn't be mad at him because ever since LaMarcus Aldridge left, his best teammate has been CJ McCollum, which I think CJ McCollum's good. I think I'm higher on CJ McCollum than you are. You know, you've been, Alex, you know, you've been a, Historically, as low as you can get on CJ McCollum, but CJ McCollum's good. But, you know, if he's your second best player, as we saw for all those years with the Blazers, like we know what your ceiling is. And, you know, they did make a conference finals, but even so, I just, I, I've always admired Dame for, you know, maintaining loyalty in an era where, that's not the popular thing to do, even though I think it's coming back to a degree, you know, with, with people like Devin Booker with ironically, Joel Embiid, uh, Giannis, you know, it's, it's, I think it's coming back and I hope, I hope it comes back, but no, you're right. If, if he asked out, I wouldn't be mad at him. Not, not in the slightest because you know, this team, this team just can't decide what it wants to do. And in the Western Conference, you know, you simply can't do that. I mean, they've thrown in the towel the last two seasons, right? They weren't that awful this year, but they just saw the way it was going to be. And they're like, nope. And they decided, hey, let's try to get Vic, right? Because they were not very, when the, when they threw in the towel, I think they were like five games out of the last play-in spot. They weren't, it wasn't like a catastrophic number. Their season wasn't done, done. They we're like, okay, Dame, you have a mysterious hamstring injury. That wasn't an actual hamstring injury. Um, in 2022, they also tanked, and they ended up with Shaden Sharp, who's an amazing athlete, but Lord knows if he's going to turn into anything yet. Um, this right. year, uh, getting the third pick is no slouch. But still, it's you're stuck no, between a not. rock and a hard place because you, you either trade Dame or you trade... Here's an idea. What if you trade the third pick for Paul George? <laughs> nah, that might be too yeah, much. I was going br- to bring up Paul George uh, with a different team, but it's it's too much because right of the injury. It's too much for the injury, but 
I don't know, man. It's it's going to be interesting to see the way the offseason breaks down. I should ask, what's your um, what's your order for these three? So my order is actually, and this is only because I've listened to a couple pods that posed a uh, case for this. So my number three is is actually Dame because. You know, I know he's been sprinkling these little hints around, but for the most part, he's been loyal to Portland. He's been loyal to the fans and the Blazers. And it's at a point now where it just seems like every offseason, it's like, oh, he's going to the Lakers. He's going He's going to Philly. He's going to, you know, Miami or wherever the fuck. Like, now it's to the point for me where I'm just like, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe when I see it. I, I think Portland's hesitant to trade him. They're probably looking for a monster haul, you know, and they and they should be because he's still playing at high level. They should be looking for a haul similar to Gobert and Mitchell, I, I think. I don't know if they're going to get that haul from anybody, but that's probably what they're going to be looking for. So I'll actually, I'll, I'll have Dame third. Then second, I'll have Paul George because, you know, Hi, Lou. Got to be frustrated with the Kawhi situation and the Paul George situation. Uh, and I think Paul George himself, even though he was injured these past playoffs, probably also a little frustrated with the Kawhi situation. I mean, if I was him, I'd be like, this isn't what I came here for. This isn't what I signed up for. You know, so my team for uh, the the... Paul George is actually the Pacers, Alex. Uh, it's actually the Pacers. I would welcome him back with open arms. I'd welcome him back, unlike Bryce Shaddy, who claims he'll still boo him, which, uh, you know, it, it's been six years. Move on, please, Bryce. But, you know, if I can get past that, Bryce, so can you, all right? So can you. You, you know, you're a Warriors fan. You're, you're a, Pacers come second to you, whatever. But I, I, if I can welcome Paul George back, so can you. So Paul George, you know, I'd welcome him back to the Pacers. I don't know how realistic that is. I know we have a, a couple late round, first round picks this year. Probably not enough to entice the Clippers, but whatever. And then number one, I'd have Embiid because I think a team like the Knicks can put together a package and you know, Alex, Alex, I've been lower on the Knicks in the rumors of the Knicks acquiring a superstar. Who are you and what have you done with Zach Griffiths? But listen, listen, listen. The Knicks have stockpiled these picks. And I think draft picks are have become I think the value of picks in trades has become increasingly inflated. Especially the past couple couple of years three years, whatever, because I'd just rather have the known quantity than a draft pick that I don't know if I'm going to fuck the draft pick up. I I, I might fuck it up. Who knows? You know, I, I might pick a Zaire Smith. I don't know. I'd just rather have the player that I know what I'm getting or there's room for improvement in a player. The Knicks, and I know I've been always being like, you know, miss me on the Knicks being in Hawks for a star because they don't, they just don't, they don't ever get stars. But now I'm like, they've been stockpiling these picks. They actually have semi competent management 
and they have contracts and assets that they can trade. You know, Julius Randle, there's a team out there that would trade for him. There's a team out there that would trade for him. You know, I shit on the Knicks for paying Jalen Brunson what they did last year, but my God, it paid off. They won their first playoff series in 10 years. I mean, and now he's a top 10 point guard in the league. Like, I absolutely had to eat shit and shove it on Jalen Brunson this year. And I'm glad to. But I just think Embiid, you know, especially when you consider the infrastructure in Philly, which, you know, I've been a staunch Maury defender for a long time, but it's just misguided at this point. If you're counting on James Harden at this point in in his career to come up for you big in playoffs, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He's not a number one option anymore, even though he acts like it. I just think Joel Embiid is very much in play for the Knicks, but I do think he'll come back to the Sixers next year. I'm just in sh- you. You're. I mean, correct, you wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Knicks, the Knicks have the pieces and the assets to put together a package for the guy. There's a which lot is of crazy logic. to say about a reigning MVP, but no, the case remains. Let me make one thing perfectly clear. There's a lot of logic behind what you said. I'm just shocked you're the one saying it. Because of Me how too. you feel about the Knicks. <laughs> Me too, but I've listened. I've listened to pods, and I, I've done some research with with Spot Track and Basketball Reference, and I'm just like, you know, it makes sense. And Embiid, you know, similar to what I said about Lillard, like if he asked out at this point, can't blame him. I just think the culture in Philly, the culture in Philly at this point, and you can make a case the entire process era has been oh it's his fault oh it's their fault oh it's uh doc's fault you know whatever i just think there's a boiling point coming and you know maybe it's this maybe it's this offseason i don't know so i think i've worked out a trade here um between the knicks and the the um the sixers now is the trade and then in the interest of time, also to steal your line, we'll move on because this is a cinema pod after all, but I, I do want to hear the trick. Okay. So I'm sending Tobias to the Knicks as well um, to kind of save salary here, but we're going to send Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson, Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly are the heart of the trade. And then Fournier and Rose Throw in however many first round picks as humanly possible. I don't really, you know, whatever you need to make the number work. Yeah, whatever. And then Joel and Tobias Harris going back to New York. That matches pretty perfectly salary wise. Like the Sixers will say, or actually the Sixers are going to take in just a little bit more. Or sorry, no, they're going to be saving 1.2 million in cap face. <laughs> and they're going to be losing a lot of that salary. Um, when Fournier and Rose expire. And plus they're getting a boatload of first round picks. So I don't know, Zach, pretty yeah. enticing. And pretty, I just I want to say one more time before we move on. Like I hope Damian Lillard stays with the Blazers because you know 
I just, I value loyalty probably more than the common fan does. But, you know, I'm I'm a diehard Pacers fan. Who's the best player in Pacers history? Reggie Miller. Spent 18 years with the team. Never played for another team. Tried to get lured out of retirement by the Cavs, by the Celtics. And he didn't do it. And I just think there's something admirable about that. You know, he goes into the Hall of Fame as a pacer. You know, I just think something admirable admirable about that. Now, whether or not Damian Lillard Damian Lillard should have made top seventy five of all time, you know, that's another conversation. But moving on, Alex. By the way, Alex, I don't want to put you on the spot on a pod, but I guess that's what pods are for. Are we doing the NBA team Mount Rushmore pod this summer after the finals? I know you and I had talked about it. We flirted with the idea. We did a we did a city Mount Rushmore, if you remember a couple years back. I really enjoyed that. I would love to do an We're, NBA Mount Rushmore pod. Let's look, let's talk more about it offline, but yes, let's I will be one thousand percent down for that. Yes. Yeah, we'll do it. Because you know I'm an NBA historian. Yeah. So, yeah, a little tease. A little tease for the audience there. But moving on. Moving on to Disgusting Brothers. Uh, Alex, this was an episode of Succession where it was based... The, the, the episode was basically one long take. You know, it all took place in the same room, basically. The same building. Uh, and... One of the great titles of an episode, America Decides. And I, I I thought it was a pretty groundbreaking episode for TV because you're getting something that you never really think about. Like, you know, Alex, with presidential elections, I remember... You know, I, I stayed up for the 2012 election, Mitt Romney and Obama. Stood up for the 2016 election, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton. I didn't stay up for the 2020 election, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Naturally. I actually went to bed for that one. I went Most to bed people for that probably one. did. <laughs> yeah, that one took a week. That one took a week for whatever. But... It, it was interesting watching this episode because you're like, this is what it's like in the newsroom during a during the biggest night of every four years. You know, it's I thought it was really groundbreaking for a TV episode. And I don't know how accurate it is in terms of, you know, what goes on in a newsroom on election nights, but it felt pretty authentic. It felt like, OK, there's a lot on the line here. I. I really liked it. I really liked the episode a lot. But there was a big storyline with Wisconsin in this episode. You know, the uh, Milwaukee voting center basically gets burnt down by an unknown entity. I'm doing air quotes. Unknown entity. It's hinted by Roman that it's Antifa. uh, Heavily hinted at by Shiv and Kendall that it's just straight up Macon's people that did it. Regardless, will calling Wisconsin for Mankin come back to bite ATN this week? I gotta say yes, Alex. I gotta say yes. 
Well, here's the thing. We know this season is running on successive days, right? Right. This so, episode takes place a day after the episode after we talked about last week, the tailgate party. Right. Yeah. So, and then the next episode is going to be the funeral. The question is, logistically, how much time is there left for backlash for ATN? I mean, we got two hours. So, I mean, there's, you know, you could look at it as there's plenty of time, but this show has a lot of, like, loops to close. A lot of them. And I, I'm going to be honest, Zach, I don't think we're going to be going back to the presidential election. I think what the most important thing about wow. this episode was, was the dynamic it had. I mean, they're going to talk about it probably, but I think it's going to be the most important factor will be the impacts it has on the three siblings, just like everything else on the show. Um, I think it's going to be like, oh, Roman... I mean, Kendall admits at one point in the episode, like, hey, you know, I don't really like how close Roman is with Minkin. You know, and then obviously we have the whole blow up with Shiv, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about with great satisfaction later. Um, yeah. But oh, yeah. Then also Kendall, you know, a lot of personal stakes. He doesn't want Minkin to win because he doesn't want his family to disown him. He doesn't want to be a bad dad like Logan was. And there's a right. lot on the line in this episode that I don't think I think it'll a lot of this episode will resonate, but not like the actual like process of the election stuff. Like I don't think we're gonna see Darwin again. But I fucking love Darwin. He was such a great character. <laughs> He's like trying to be the objective, yeah. you know, journalist person. Who's the guy who was on um MSNBC who became like a really big star? Um the one who was always pointing at the screen. Um Kornacki? I, don't I think know. that's his name. But you got me on that one. I'm not sure. There's I think that was supposed to be like the analog for him, right? And then you have, you know, all the uh like he was trying to make it like a real journalistic operation, which we know ATN is not. <laughs> we know ATN does not stand for real journalism. Um No, ATN is just no. ATN ATN's no C SPAN, I'll put it that way. Darwin is a speck of integrity in an ocean of bullshit. That's. And he came out of nowhere because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I don't remember seeing him in any episodes prior to this one. Uh, he's definitely not been in like, it. He he's definitely came out of nowhere. Like, well, like, who the hell are you? You know? But Poor guy got wasabi in his no. eye. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that later, but. No, it's. Uh, I thought it was a great episode. The tension was the tension was My, up the whole time. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I said I didn't think the tension could get any higher? I don't remember what episode it was. I think it was the episode after um the episode after Logan died. When it was like mm. super tense. One of the episodes. I don't remember exactly which episode it was. This episode, I was watching through my face. A lot of it. Like, I was like, oh my gosh. The tension right. they built was actually, like, insane. And when they finally cleared it at the end of the episode, it was such such relief. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I, I'm i of the belief Wisconsin will come back to bite them next week. Uh, you know... It has the, you know, Bush Gore, Biden Trump vibe to it where 
you're just not going to know who the winner is for a couple weeks. You know, people are going to question the legitimacy of the election, whatever. At least on those two cases, like, that happens. And I think that's what they're kind of aiming at here with this one. But you talked about Shiv, Alex. (laughs) You know, we've been on Shiv's ass the whole season. She's been playing both sides of the fence. Last week, it seemed like, you know, she realized the error of her ways. Now, is it time to get the shuffle out and bury Shiv? Because Greg with one of the great moves he's pulled in the series, confirms to Kendall that, yes, indeed, Shiv is working with Matson and bullshit you about calling Jimenez's people. Kendall finds out, confirms with Greg that this is the case. Shiv is under a pile of shit. And guess what, Alex? You're going to be shocked to hear this. I don't feel sorry for her. I don't either. Um, frankly, at this point, I don't. If bad things happen to them, I'm just. I'm going to go out front here. I wouldn't feel bad for any of them. I feel the least bad for Shiv, though. You're double crossing your siblings. Like you're not going to engender any sympathy from the audience. And she, listen, she made her bed. She has to lie in it, and she yeah. lost Tom because of how cavalier she was with their marriage. And now she's losing her brothers because of the double cross she tried to pull. Now, granted, again, I should throw the caveat out there um, because I'm, I'm not even like pro Shiv, but I need to throw the caveat out there. Kendall and Roman are also trying to double cross each other. Let's make that, let's make that perfectly clear. Kendall's been trying to double cross Roman since like, they took over as CU bros, right? But yeah. it's not been to this extent. No, it's not, it hasn't. It hasn't been to the extent of faking phone calls. Right. And when Kendall went to the hallway to um, like, oh no, Shiv, I just need to hear for sure exactly what they said. I don't, well, I don't remember exactly what the dialogue was, but the coldness in his voice it was and like she was like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. And then when he comes back after, you know, he finds out what happened and she was like, I, 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 and then <laughs> the most um, Logan thing Kendall's ever done. I, 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 yeah. When he fucking imitates her, that's the most Logan thing. Any, I think any of them have ever done. And, and then Roman does it again, like 30 seconds after that, it was, an incredible sequence. The last 10 minutes of these episodes have, like, you have to... They've been... If you just put the last 10 minutes of the episodes together as, like, a single episode, it would be... Obviously, it wouldn't make sense continuity-wise, right? But, oh my god, the last 10 minutes of each of these episodes have been fucking amazing for, like, the last... I'd say, what? At least the last... The last three, for sure. But you yeah, could make a case yeah. it's been longer. Yeah, you could. But the last three, the last three for sure. And you know, Alex, you bring up Tom. Tom, who should be mentioned, you know, a little tidbit here, high on cocaine the whole episode while running the newsroom that is projecting 
a victory for the next president of the United States. But can you blame Tom? You know, we get another Tom versus Shiv scene that turns into a bombastic argument. Like, can you blame Tom for questioning Shiv's pregnancy? You know, Shiv obviously doesn't know Tom is poked out of his mind in the hallway of ATN, but what reason does Tom have to believe her? And should we even believe her that this is Tom's kid? It's an excellent question. I mean, the disgusting brothers is one thing. Who knows what Shiv was up? Shiv cheated on them while Shiv cheated on him while they were married. Imagine yeah. what she was doing when they were separated. Right. Like, right. She doesn't get to claim any kind of moral high ground here. Like, no, she doesn't. It, you know, to to act. I mean, she was legitimately shocked. She wasn't acting shocked. Like, she was legitimately shocked when Tom was like, you know, basically questioning if she was pregnant or not. You know, whatever. But I think she had a different sense of where their relationship was than he did. Clearly, even though he was coked out, like. I don't blame the guy one bit for questioning it because he's been put through the ringer, you know, tenfold with her, you know, psychologically, emotionally, you know, he's, he's been cheated on. Like what? I don't blame him at all. At all, Alex. I don't either. It's been like you said, it's the ringer. It's, I mean, listen, it's just been a horrible marriage from really both sides of the equation, but Tom's at least trying. Tom's not a horrible person. He's just a bad one. <laughs> yeah, and he's got- not here for the bullshit anymore. You know, he's not here for the PR. Uh, he's not here for the business arrangement that the marriage basically turned out to be. Like he, he's like, you know, he's just here for the facts. He's not. He's not. He's not walking on eggshells anymore. Like it felt like he was in seasons one and two. <laughs> Yeah, Shiv is basically her, at this point, she's her father's avatar for shittiness. And then also, the, like, the, the boys that haven't been locked down in, you know, stable relationships. But you could also attribute that to the very bad parenting. So... The genes, yeah. Yes. The genes yeah. and also the... um, I think it's twofold, personally. But I think both of those things, it's like a... A shit sandwich, if you will. Yeah, definitely a shit sandwich. A grilled shit sandwich, you know, maybe. But, you know, you talk, you talk to, you, you foreshadowed, you know, Roman and Kendall working against each other in not so subtle ways. But the Roman and Mankin partnership, I think, is interesting because if Mankin wins, you know, he's the presumptive winner, according to ATN, you know, according to PGN. <laughs> who knows but Mencken at the end of the episode was the presumptive you know president elect now Roman is getting assurances from Mencken that the Gojo deal with Waystar is going to be blocked <laughs> once he takes the oath <laughs> you know Alex I've been pretty staunch on my stance that Kendall's going to stand alone 
I feel like this plays into my favor. You know, not to not to toot my own horn, but I just feel like Wisconsin is going to bite them in the ass. Roman especially so because he has put all his chips in on the Mankin table. I I don't like this for Roman. It, it just it just it doesn't feel right, especially with everything that happened in Wisconsin with Mankin. It's not a bad theory. But I guess my counter would be, other than Kendall's, you know, little consequences at the end of season two, and he didn't really even face consequences, like the, cons- the true consequences of what he did. Or I mean, I'm at the beginning of season two. What consequences have any of them ever really faced for their shitty actions? And obviously, yeah, I would I think- say the only one who actually did in some way was probably Kendall when he killed the waiter because he was basically enslaved to his dad after that. Yeah. But even then that's not like the actual like real world. Like if you or I did what Kendall did, we'd be in, we'd be buried underneath the jail. Oh yeah. Yeah. But talking from a Roy standpoint, like that's mm -hmm. the closest thing probably. Yeah. That's for sure. And I don't think any of them, have ever faced real consequences. And so when they face like even the slightest bit of consequences, it messes up their whole world because it's like, Oh no, I got in trouble. I'm, I got in trouble for, (laughs) for doing that thing. Not realizing that even if you have a bajillion dollars, your actions have consequences. And I think that's the messed up thing of it all. It's like, Oh, these kids have the world, but they're who's, Shiv had a funny line in this where when she's talking to Nate, I think it was, and Nate's like, who's watching the Watchmen? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm watching the Watchmen. No, you're not. If ATN's good, right. you're making money. And it's such a hypocritical thing from her. It's like, again, just no consequences <laughs> for her hip- hypocrisy. Nothing. It's just no one watches her because who can Who's going to be the person who holds her accountable? There's Logan's dead, but he never held them accountable to begin with. Like he would mess with them. Yeah, he tormented them, but that's not holding them accountable for their actions. That's just being a dick. Right. That's just be, being yeah, a bad person. It's not there's on the nobody level. here. No, it's not. It's not on the level. But to your point, you're right. There's there's nobody. There's nobody here in, Sh- in Shiv's corner to hold her accountable. Even Nate, you know, who she's kind of working with at this point and was like her fuck buddy, you know, even him, he's like keeping his distance. Like nobody wants any of, nobody wants Shiv. Like nobody, even Matson at this point, like Matson, who seems like her only ally, seem, you know, who knows what he's thinking at this point. It's just. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I I would be shocked if you know in two weeks when this when the series ends, if Shiv is in any good position at all. I, I would I would legitimately be shocked just based on what we've seen throughout this whole season. But you know, moving into the categories here, Alex, best scene. You know, the aforementioned Tom and Shiv argument in the hallway. And then we have Shiv exposed by Greg and Kendall. This was actually a hard category for me to put together because, like I said at the top, like this episode just seemed to blend together 
it took place mostly in one building, one room in the newsroom. Uh, these are the only two I could recall off the top of my head, but I think Shiv getting exposed at the end of this episode was just, I mean, that, that, that would be my vote. Yeah, I also think that that scene was probably the best one. I got some small candidates, though. Um, sure. When, and they're mostly all hijinks related because there was a lot of hijinks in this episode. Um, well, first of all, I do want to nominate that scene between Shiv and Greg where Shiv completely fucks it up. And I think that's going to like I know that's probably not going to be the center of our Shiv discussion, but... What did, what was it that Greg said? Um, silence is golden. You know, what have you got for me? And, she, and that's she a classic case him. of Shiv trying to be her dad. Yeah, she's trying to be her dad. Because if you remember, I've, a couple seasons back, Logan did the same thing to Greg. Cornered him in a room like that. And she's not her dad, is is the, the moral of the story here. She's, she's not Logan. And... That scene I thought was really good. Um, the wasabi scene <laughs> was fucking yeah. hysterical. Um, when they're talking about the touchscreens and Kendall says, if you don't, tells Greg, if you don't get one of those touchscreens to work, I'm going to put your fucking head through one. Um, yeah. There was one. What, what else was I thinking of? Um, shit. There, there was a lot of small, funny ones. God damn. No, it was okay. So they actually had a moment moment of sibling solidarity solidarity in this episode. And that's when um Tom goes, Shiv, you're getting a little snappy, or whatever he says. And Kendall says, You fucking watch it, Tom. <laughs> and I thought that you know, I, I think part of the um the tragedy of Tom and Shiv's relationship. Is that Tom just wants, or not Tom, sorry. I meant Kendall and Shiv's relationship. Is that Kendall just wants someone to confide in? And he wants someone to empathize with him. And it's kind of shitty because he doesn't really have a lot of empathy for other people. But, you know, he he just wants that, right? Like, he wants human connection. And he tries to go to Shiv over and over again. And Shiv, over and over again, stabs him in the fucking back. This isn't the first time that she's done that. And so, yeah. When he um, finds out about her betrayal, when he immediately goes to betray her, it's not a surprise that it's um, it's not a surprise that he doesn't hesitate. He's like, oh, it's Minkin. Of course he says it's Minkin. Like, you fucking stabbed him in the back, Shiv. Like, what do you expect? Yeah. And, and you know, I think Shiv, whether she believes it or not, you know, she's trying to say, oh, Macon, Macon's bad for the country, Macon's bad for for democracy. I think at that point, she's kind of just like grabbing, you know, grasping for anything to keep her, keep her afloat among the brothers. And but that, you know, that would be my vote. Shiv exposed by Kendall and Greg because Greg, Greg is just like Right spot, right time, man. He's just always... He's like Robert Ory. He's Robert Ory. He's just right spot, right time, always there to make the clutch play. And he did it in this one. Great stuff by Greg. Before um, 
So we move on to the next category here. Who got it the worst? No, I think Shiv's going to be the winner here, Alex. Okay. I really think it's a debate. But it's not a debate, but honorable mentions, I guess. I put Matson just because he's tied to Shiv at this moment. And also, uh, Milwaukee Voting Center, you know, getting set on fire, not ideal. Not ideal, especially on election night. You know, not what you want. Can I nominate uh, Jimenez? Sure. He, he Even though I think he could still win. He could still win, but right now he did get it pretty bad. Yeah, he's down bad. No question. Dude's down um, bad. Jimenez. But it's it's a, it has to be Shiv. I mean, but it's all self-inflicted. It's not like, you know. Oh, yeah, I don't feel bad for her. Not at all. And Matson's is all self-inflicted, too, for tying his boat to Shiv's. Which is why one. he did that. No clue. I don't know. Why didn't he just keep it tied to Romans? I mean, well, I know why. <laughs> I Roman trust shit him on either. top of the mountain. I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't trust any of them again. Another key theme. Um, I read a review by Alan Seppenwall this week, the TV. Uh, I'm the TV critic. I'm yeah, sure I love that guy. Um, and he said every like great show like this has like an episode like this, you know, like Breaking Bad, um, The Sopranos, where they have an episode just to remind you how awful all the characters are because you like get on their side too much. Yep. And he, his contention was that this was that episode. I'm inclined to agree with him. Um, but no one look comes out looking worse than shit. I mean, and by default, that makes her, that makes, that means she got it the worst. <laughs> there's no, really no one else. <laughs> no, there's no one else. And, uh, she was also my big loser because, which I guess, you know, I've been thinking about that actually. Who got the worst and big loser? Kind of the same thing. You know, kind of the same thing. Uh, but blocking the back award, the most brainless decision in the episode. <laughs> we have Shiv. We have Tom, potentially, because he called Wisconsin. And we have Roman, potentially, because he tied his wagon Mencken, who we don't even know if he's going to win or not. I guess we'll find out next week. I'm actually going to go with Tom here. Because Tom, you know, as we mentioned, coked out of his mind throughout the episode. Uh, Not on good terms with basically anyone in the newsroom. And calls Wisconsin on pretty shaky grounds and basically announces the new president to the country without even knowing 100% for sure if he is the new president. So I'm going to go with Tom because made some pretty drastic choices here that I think could bite him in the ass as soon as this week. Alex. Yeah. My favorite line from the end of the episode was uh, Greg being like, your phone's blowing up from some, uh, very important people wanting to scream at you. <laughs> and it was very, um, yeah, it was very on brand because of course they wanted to scream at him because he, yeah, made a declaration. And I, I liked how PGN ran that thing where he's like, 
Wamsgans is a known associate of Jared Minkin. I don't think we've ever seen them in the same room. And there's a 1,000% chance Minkin hates Tom's guts. Yeah. (laughs) There's, like, not even, like... Is there even a remote possibility of Minkin liking Tom? Like, just straight up. Like, Minkin's kind of a weirdo, (laughs) to put it mildly. Yeah, he seems like a sociopath. Yeah, that's again. That's putting it mildly. Um, he's not a person I'd want to associate with personally. No, but, no, not at all. And, and you know, speaking of Macon, he's actually my big winner of the episode because you know, presumptively, I want to put that in big, big letters, big bold letters. Presumptively, the new president of the, of the United States, according to ATN. I couldn't think of anyone else, Alex, because everyone else and Macon is running this PR campaign with Roman to play this as a victory, no matter what, if he wins or loses. Uh, so I, I, I didn't have anyone else in this category. I got to go with Macon. Kendall's long streak is broken. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the only other person you could argue for here is Greg. <laughs> Greg finally had a good episode. How long has it been since something like actually, I mean, he's in with Matson, but he's also in with Shiv or not Shiv. He's in with um, the, the brothers. Kendall. Yeah. So. And he's earned Kendall's trust. I think that's fair to say. You know what? I, I'm as going much with as you can. Greg. Right. <laughs> because they fuck, they both fucked each other over so many times, <laughs> but yeah, I, I still think I'm going to go with Greg here. I think he's a pretty big winner coming out of this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and the final category here, the Dylan Hughes slip in the DMs award for a cast crew or character, a cast member, crew member or character whose DMs you'd want to slip into to ask a question. <laughs> I'm actually going with ATN's rival, PGN, Pierce. I want to know, PGN, how do you feel about your chances of burying ATN? Because ATN called the election for Mencken, even though Wisconsin's fate was up in the air. PGN, to my knowledge, Alex, didn't call the election for either of the candidates. PGN got to be feeling good here going into next week because, you know, they're already running the anti-Tom campaign. I think they're going to wait it out with this making Milwaukee thing to, to declare a winner. PGN, how are you feeling? And isn't it kind of funny that the people who are buying you supposedly, where are we just never going to go back to that? Is that just... And now is that? I guess not. I guess not. Uh, that really hasn't been crazy? addressed since Logan died. It has not been. Do you want to hear a crazy theory I just came up with, like just a couple of minutes ago? Well, because I saw PGN and I had a crazy theory. I'm I'm curious to hear your yeah. thoughts on it. What if the season ends with Kendall having ATN, Roman in the White House somehow? Oh, and, and Shiv 
Shiv is the one running PGN. What if that's their ultimate destinies? I think working against each other. I think Shiv is going to end up at PGN somehow, some way. Like Nan Pierce I mean, she is kind is, of like she is on good ter- on good terms with Nan. It seems like yes. Nan Pierce, and it, let me make one thing abundantly clear. It seems like Nan Pierce likes her a lot more than she probably likes Nan Pierce. But you have that going for you. You have somebody who actually likes you. I don't think this season ends with all of them together, but I especially think I'm convicted in my heart that she ends up at PGN, some, running PGN somehow, some way, as either the CEO or the owner. But I don't. there's no way she ends the season running ATN. I, I just don't see it. No, and that could be her door out, especially if you know a one eighty happens here and Jimenez ends up president after after you know whatever happens next week and the week after. But that could be her one out. Uh, you know, Roman's trying to make relationships to end up in DC, end up in the White House, or whatever. You know, he's making making deals with Mankin, so still maintain, you know, as far as Waystar is concerned, I think Kendall will end up on top. Not saying the other two siblings can't end up on top elsewhere. I just think as far as Waystar, they're out of their depth business-wise, relationship-wise. I just don't, I don't see it for them, but I actually like that take. I never, I never thought of that. I, I, never thought, I just thought I just, of it. I guess I just thought it was. I was just thinking of it in Waystar terms, but no, that's a good point by you. Thank you. I like I said, I just thought of it just now, so it's not like I'd spent a lot of time ruminating on it either. Um, my slip in the DM. Um, Carl still hasn't answered my DMs. Um, at this point, I need You're my demanding an fix. answer. Maybe you got I, blocked. I, just, I think so. You got muted or, I think by he, Carl. I've been muted because it, the messages are still going through, but it's been weeks. Um, it's like Dylan messaging Summer Ray, you know, just not, <laughs> just not getting an answer. Or Paige Spiranak, you know, Paige, Paige is not answering. She's living, she's leaving Dylan on red. It's just not fair. Poor Dylan. Um, no, I, I think this week, my um. My DM's going to go to Darwin. Ask him how the wasabi in his eyes felt. Um, yeah, but in all seriousness, too. I'm going to ask him how he can, you know, he's a credible journalist, it seems. Like, he has shreds of journalistic integrity, you could tell. You could tell, like, he wasn't comfortable calling Wisconsin when Roman's, like, barging in there, like, hey, you need to call Wisconsin. And... I would just be curious to know what his thought process was if I had to pick one, but still um, the ultimate goal here is to get Carl to finally respond to one of my DMs. I don't think it'll ever happen. By the way, slick slick line in the episode was when uh, Frank was like, he was running for president. They're talking about Connor. He's like, he was running for president. And also I'd like this. um, When Jimenez was making a speech, what Hugo said, he said, Ed, come on, take it out, whip it out, something. You're so fucking playing. Yeah. <laughs> I was dying laughing. That was funny. Like, 
Hugo, what the fuck? What's so funny? That was funny. Yeah, that that was really funny. That was that was really funny. That might deserve its own slip in the DM for just asking Hugo, what the fuck? <laughs> My dad even laughed at that one. He texted me that quote. No, that, that was that was funny. That was really funny. But no, it was a I thought it was a powerhouse episode, Alex. Arguably a Pantheon succession episode. Uh, you know, for me, mostly just because of what I said a couple times in this episode, like just felt like one long take. And I loved it. I loved it. So uh, moving on to next week, we only have two episodes left in the series. Can't believe it. Uh, but Alex, what do we have to plug on the network here? So the power hour, um, hopefully I'm going to see if JD and I can't get back together this week. It's been a lot of scheduling snafus. You and I have experienced some of our share of scheduling snafus as well with my new job. It's, you know, it just is what it is. Like, I mean, we can't control right the schedule. So, um, I'm going to see if I can't get back together with JD though. I know he has some fire takes about all the playoffs. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about DeAndre Ayton. My goodness. I mean, that's going to be a powerhouse. Um, I don't think anybody's been harder on Ayton than he has. So no, I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about, um, but let's see. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about the Sixers. So, you know, Let me tell you, I think we, the- I think we dodged a bullet with the Suns matching our offers, right? <laughs> I think so. I think he might have gotten the better end of that equation getting Miles Turner. Never thought I'd say it, but thank God for Robert Sarver. Yeah, it's not looking pretty right now. They're gonna... The other day, um, Caleb and I were talking, and he's like sending me eight in trades, and I think one of the ones he proposed was Hardaway and Reggie Bullock. And when that doesn't sound unreasonable... Your value is at an all-time low. Like I don't think it could you be have a worse. problem. <laughs> think about how high his value was. Like after the 2021 playoffs, when I was on this network saying this guy's the third best center in the league, and I still maintain at the time when I said it, it was true. But now it wasn't a ludicrous take. Now it's just like, I mean, that seems like five years ago. Now it's just crazy, crazy what can happen. You know, in a in a couple of years with a guy, and neither of those coaches are coaching now, or for their no, they're both out of the job for now. For um, now. I, yeah, Budenholzer will de- like they're they'll both be they'll both have jobs very very soon. Um, yeah, Zach, I heard Linsanity this week was an absolute banger. I, do you care to elaborate? Oh, it was a hell of a time. Uh, we talked lottery. We talked conference finals. Talked a little second round results. Uh, I went absolutely. I, I mean, I got a bib and a knife and a fork and just went in on the Detroit Pistons and how they run their franchise. How happy I was that they got the fifth pick in the Wembenyama sweepstakes. I mean, it, it, Caleb Lynn. I think he said it was my all time greatest rant on the network, which. That's saying something. 
So uh, I was very passionate about the Pistons. Alex, I'm, I'm just like, if you look at the Pistons roster on paper, you're like, how did this team go 17 and 65? How? How? Well, I'll tell you how. And what you first cannot tell me, you cannot tell me, Cade Cunningham needed to miss the whole the rest the whole rest of the season. There's no way. There's it, no way. He probably, he probably would have come back in like March or. They were only going to be competitive uh, late February. If he was I mean, come on. Yeah, but at that point, it was going to be they were going to be too far out. It's not like it was. I understand. The I just think at just this to, point, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go in on the Pistons again just because they don't have the energy. But, oh, here. Do you do you want my Pistons critique? Because I can, I can, sure. I can also critique the Pistons. I just think the Pistons the, should. You know, you lost the Victor sweepstakes. Boo hoo. You have Cade. You have Ivy. You have Stewart. You have Duran. Just try and be competitive next year. Try not to be dog shit. Can you do that? I honestly thought they were. I thought they were going to be competitive this year, but um, I think. They have way too many centers. They need to get rid of. You have Wiseman. I mean, my God. You have so, Wiseman, so many Stewart. lottery picks on their rosters. It's it, it, it's it's insane. Bagley. Yeah, and get rid of. You need to get rid of Hayes. You need to get rid of Stewart. You need to get rid of probably Wiseman too. At this point, um, you need to invest. I mean, Bogdanovich was actually really good for them last year, <laughs> but that's because Bogdanovich is just really good. I have, um, I'm not as off the Pistons as you are. The problem is, is when you take such an extreme stance, I have to be the moderate one. <laughs> I have to be the PGN tier, you know, what was their, what was their name of their alternative networks? What EVA? When it comes to Something this, like that. Something so like that, I, yeah. I have to be, you know, but I, I'm not enthralled with their direction right now either. If they get a, a blue chipper at five, which is in this draft sack, you know this draft is loaded. It's possible they get someone good at five. And, I mean, they they nailed their fifth pick last year. Getting I- Yeah, they could get a Thompson twin or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like getting five is an outright disaster like it is in some other drafts, right? It's not like they got the fifth pick and, you know. I mean, getting the fifth pick last year was probably – could have been looked at as more of a disaster and look at who they ended up with. So – yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just glad they didn't get Victor because you know, I, I think their play de- I think their player development is really awful. I think it's really My- awful. I think their infrastructure there is really bad. Uh and they don't have a coach, should be mentioned. I, I would hope they have a coach before the drafts, which is in like a month. But with that My team, final pistons take. My final pistons take Zach. All the animosity towards the Thunder the last couple of years. And I've called out um, some of our friends on the network for this. I've called out um, Dylan Hughes. I've called out, you know, uh, I think Caleb's been pretty hard on them. Actually, I'm not, I'm not going to go full bore saying Caleb's been hard on them. But I know one of the Linsanity guys has. Okay. The, all the slack that OKC has gotten the last two years, the Pistons have been bad for literally twice as long. Literally twice as long, and it's it's weird because the Thunder aren't even in a big market. <laughs> the Thunder in one of the smallest markets, and Detroit's actually one of the bigger ones. And Detroit's like also a glamour franchise. So, right, Detroit is like historically one of the best franchises. 
So it's it should be getting way. Caleb, I apologize because I know you're going to listen to this and bombard me with messages. Um, but I, I just had to say, as Lynn does, yes. OKC will make the playoffs next year and Detroit will not. And that's the difference between them and the, I mean, OKC made the play in this year. So, and the difference between them is OKC has competent general manager. They have competent owner. Detroit does not. Detroit does not. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's that's probably, that's probably a good place to end it. But Alex, like we said, only a couple more weeks here with the Disgusting Brothers. Thanks for joining me. This was a great one. Uh, and as always, folks, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>